Tonight I wanted to uh, talk on something that we touched on on Sunday. And I don't know about you, but boy, life seems to just be going at 100 miles an hour. Amen. Don't know about you, but it seems like we're always looking that we need some rest. Amen. And that's what I want to talk about. It's like there is no chance for rest and for just a, a getaway. And that's what life will do, what Satan will do sometime. He will stress us out and make us always be doing something, always be busy, always needing to do something else. And that, when it takes away our control, is what brings stress. So tonight I want to talk about the true Sabbath rest. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, all of that somewhat seems cryptic, but we will come back to it in, in, in great detail before the end of this lesson. But what we really need is to be able to rest. Amen. To, and that rest is not a, a rest of, of action, but it's a, a rest of your mind. It's a, it's a trust. It's a relaxation of knowing that everything is going to be okay. Amen. And the world today just goes through every day worried. They, they do a survey of, of uh, what they call consumer uh, outlook each month. And, you know, it keeps going down. And the Bible says that men's hearts are failing them for fear of what is to come. The future always worries us because we, we don't trust. Amen. So we're going to look at that and look at the Sabbath as given in the Old Testament and go into some things about it and uh, look at it in some detail um, tonight. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. There is, a, there is a place we can get to of trust, of rest, of peace. The Bible speaks about a peace that passes human understanding. Even though all around us is a storm and there could be all kinds of stresses and strains. And I'm not there yet, but that's what I want to, to talk about tonight is the true Sabbath rest. It says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And he goes on in verse 10 to says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Sometimes we're so busy doing our own works, trying to make things right, trying to work things out. And what God is telling us is, you haven't entered my rest. Now, he's not saying there isn't things for you to do, but it's your state of mind when you're doing it. Are you perplexed? Are you depressed? Are you, are you just worried? Well, that tells God that you don't trust him, that you haven't given him the problem, the issue. So we're going to look at the thing that God set up in the Old Testament under the law and see where is it applicable to us today? Why did God create this thing called the Sabbath? And what was he trying to illustrate there's so many teachings on that that um, have gone astray from what the real purpose and goal of God setting that up, as, as with many things in the Bible. We're going to try tonight and rightly divide the word of truth. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, of course, there are churches today that believe that we should still uh, observe the Sabbath as it was given in the Old Testament. And I'm going to go into to that in detail tonight. But why did God, what were the purposes of the Sabbath? Why did God create a Sabbath? What was, what was he trying to show? Well, one of the things that the Bible tells us about the Sabbath, that it was a sign to Israel. It was a sign to Israel. The scripture explicitly tells us that in Ezekiel 20, verse 12. It says, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me. What he's speaking about is those holy consecrated days were there as a sign. A sign of what? That's the question. A sign of what? What was God doing in setting up this thing about the Sabbath and and observing these dietary restrictions and observing this no work restriction? What was the purpose of it, and how is it applicable to us today? Exodus thirty-one twelve says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you. See, that's the second time in Scripture it said that. Said it in Ezekiel, it also says it in Exodus. So when people take the Sabbath out of context, because what did the Scripture say? It was a sign to who? Israel, Israel, the Jews, in other words, right? The Sabbath and all of the holy days were there to set up and to commemorate and to mark certain events. They were precursors or pre-fulfillments or symbols or shadows of what God was going to do. That's why he says here as well that it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that he may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you or separate you. In Israel keeping the Sabbath, that was something different. No other nation was doing that, taking a day where they did not work, where they did not cook, where they did not make their servants work. That distinguished Israel from the nation's around them. God had Israel do things to make them unusual, to make them different. Circumcision and all of their dietary laws and all of these special days, that put them in a distinct class, different from all the nations around them. Again, God goes over again and repeats it. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days, may, six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Now remember, this is a sign to Israel, and it is also something that was instituted under the law. Under the law. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. I'm going to come to you. Verse 17, he repeats it again. What does it say? It is a sign between me and who? 
not the Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that out there, sister. Right. Okay, the question was, but isn't today, aren't we spiritual Israel? Good question. We were going to examine that, hold that thought, we'll get to it. So, since in the Old Testament God seemed very literal, and even to the point where if someone broke the Sabbath, they could be put to death, so why do we not observe a literal Sabbath today? Why do we not observe a literal Sabbath today? Well, it's the same reason, really, we don't do animal sacrifices. Anyone who says that you must observe the Sabbath needs to explain why they are not also observing the animal sacrifices and every other holy day that was given under the law. You cannot pick and choose which parts of the law you want to observe. Paul made that plain. He says, if you're going to do some of it, then you're going to, do all, you're going to have to do all of it. And we're going to get to that. So the reason why we do not observe a literal Sabbath is the same reason that we're not obliged anymore to do animal sacrifices. Galatians 2.16 begins the explanation as Paul is speaking to the Galatian church who were primarily a Gentile body. They were mostly not Jews. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The trouble was that nobody actually ever kept the Sabbath. Nobody ever kept the Sabbath because we find in the, in the New Testament Jesus referring to the priests breaking the Sabbath. Because they would serve the bread on the, on the Sabbath. They would do other things on the Sabbath. Nobody actually kept the Sabbath. My father used to say to actually keep the Sabbath, you would have to actually be dead. That's the only way you could have actually perfectly kept the Sabbath. Paul goes on to say this, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So this is Paul, in Galatians, Paul is speaking to some Galatians who, who have been told, they've had some people come down from Judah, some Jews telling them, you've got to observe all of the holy days, you've got to observe all of the dietary foods, you've got to stay away from this, and you've got to not mix uh, milk with, with certain other things. And they were telling them that they had to observe the law to be saved. What Paul was preaching, though, was revolutionary at the time because they had not understood that Jesus, when he died, was the fulfillment and the end of the law. Amen. He was the end of the law in righteousness. Amen. So let's go back to the Old Testament. So what was God's plan and why did he give this seemingly harsh rule? What was he trying to show? Remember, he said more than three times in Scripture, it was a sign. It was there as a sign of something. A sign of what? Well, let's go back to creation when God first mentioned the seventh day and see, let's start to understand 
what was it meant to be a sign of? Well, Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 we have Genesis 1:31 ending with God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. Creation was in perfection. There was nothing more to be done. You can't make something more perfect than perfect, can you? So as I've said God did not stop creation because he was really tired. The Bible says the God we serve neither slumbers nor sleeps. It wasn't because he was tired. It was because it was complete. It was finished. God had finished his work of creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested. Mean not to sleep, but to stop. When you rest from work, you mean you have stopped trying to work. Rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, means set it apart, because that in it he had rested or completed from all his work which God created and made. So the reason why he blessed the seventh day was why? What did it say? Because in that he had stopped or completed his work. If something is complete... There's no more you or I are supposed to do to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why God hallowed this and set it apart, because there was no more that even he could do. It was finished. So if someone wants to do something, what they're doing is they're challenging God's workmanship or his completed work. Are you following what I'm saying? The reason why he said no work, it was to symbolize the fact that his work was complete and sufficient was sufficient that's why we're not to try and and do work because he has got this that was the symbol of the sabbath it was it was to come to to commemorate god's finished work in creation and that there was not a man couldn't do any more right so you cannot add to god's work that was the symbol and the message of the sabbath that was the sign for the sabbath In Exodus 34, he repeats it. Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In airing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. And when the dew that lay... Now, in in Exodus 16, 14, now, God starts to give them food. Because they're in a desert place. So he starts to provide for them. Starting in Exodus 16, 14. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing as small as a hoarfrost on the ground and when the children of Israel saw it they said one to another it is manna and that just means in Hebrew what is this we call it manna what manna means what is this for they wist not or understood not what it was and Moses said unto them this is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat and so God told them that they were each together or to measure out an omer, which is about a basket or a small bowl of, 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 uh, of the bread. And as they did that, everybody was to gather up an omer. And here's the miracle. And when they did meet or measure it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So they gathered sufficient. Again, when God does something, it's complete. It needs no addition, no further work. So because of that, God told them that on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much. 
He was going to take care of it. He was going to do the work for them. They didn't have to plant anything. They didn't have to take their clothes to the dry cleaning. They didn't have to dig some wells. He provided water. He provided meat. He provided food. And on the sixth day, he told them, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it so that you have enough for the seventh day. You will not have to do anything. I'm going to complete it. I am going to complete the work for you. So when God completes the work, then we rest in him. And so people who went out, because you know people do not listen. God said, don't do it. They will, you, you will have enough. And yet on the seventh day, there were still people who got up and said, I'm going out to get some manna. There was no manna. <laughs> Let's read on. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, how long... Sorry, verse, verse, uh, verse uh, 16, 27. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for together, and they found none. Do you understand that God, in giving them double on the sixth day, was saying, I have done the work for you. I have given you the work. You do not do nothing on the seventh day. If you go out on the seventh day, what you're really saying is that what I'm doing for you is not good enough. You're trying to go beyond my work. That's why God was trying to give and show the symbol of the seventh day. You are going beyond his completed work. You cannot add to God's work. So they went out and they found none. And God was a little bit upset. He said to Moses, how long? See, we talked about us saying how long last Tuesday. Sometimes God says it back. How long are you going to be that way? How long are you going to be not listening to me? How long before you really trust me? That I got this. How many miracles must I do for you? How many times must I save your life? Who was it that said a bullet came through their window, was it? Yes. How many times must God save our life before we understand that we couldn't have done it anyway? They were in a desert. They hadn't planted anything. They were trying to do again what God told them not to do. The Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day, because that is commemorating my finishing work of creation. So finally the people rested on the seventh day. So the symbol of the Sabbath was not because God was trying to be harsh. He was trying to illustrate trust in him. It took trust to not go out on the seventh day. It took trust in the sixth year to not plant for the seventh year. God had promised in the sixth year you will reap double. Do not plant that year. Because God was trying to instill faith and trust in him. And yet... That's why they, keep, they kept on breaking it. Every sixth year, the, the seventh year, they were to not plant. They were to allow the land to lie fallow. And after 490 years of skipping that, finally God's mercy and patience ran out. And you know what happened? Nebuchadnezzar came and captured the Israelites and took them out the land for 70 years so that the land would catch up on the Sabbaths of rest. You see, all of this was given as types and symbols and shadows. Colossians 2.16, Paul writing to the uh, Gentile church at Colossae said this, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink 
or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the true fulfillment is Christ. The body is Christ. It's a shadow. It was a symbol to represent God's completion of creation. It was not meant to be an idol in itself to prove I'm more holy than you. Because we keep the Sabbath, which you don't, but you say you do. Because I asked those people who say they keep the Sabbath, so did you drive to church on the Saturday? (laughs) You know you can only go as far as you can walk. (laughs) You can only go as far as you walk. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, then you're going to have to keep the Sabbath. Only go a Sabbath day's journey, right? You can't, you can't be driving in, in your car. That's a flame. There's a flame there that lights up. That's work. The engine's doing some work. Somebody's doing some work there. So these things were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So I believe in the New Testament, we see that one day his disciples were going through the corn, field of corn on the Sabbath day. And they started picking the corn. And of course, the Pharisees were just waiting for this opportunity to say, see, your, your, your disciples break the law. What are you going to say about that? And they didn't understand that this was symbolizing the, crea- the completion of creation. He said, don't you understand that I am Lord of the Sabbath? I created this. It was, it was my symbol for me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I sanctified that day and set it aside. That's what Paul was saying. It's a type and a shadow of really trusting God. Trusting God. So today, do you know we can, we can keep the Sabbath? We can spiritually keep the Sabbath when we start to trust God. That's what it was saying in Hebrews. They that, that, that believe have entered into my rest. When we can't see our way forward, when it don't look, you know, that it's going to rain tomorrow or you're going to have your job tomorrow or you don't know how, that is when you start to trust God. See, this Sabbath observance was part of the ceremonial law. They had many ceremonial laws, right? They had the, all of the seven feasts, right? Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, um, Rosh Hashanah, with Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and then the last one, Tabernacles. You got it. Good. You got it. Then they had some other minor feasts, which one of these days I'll have to teach about. We, we taught, taught about Hanukkah, I think, before, and they had four fasts that they would also celebrate. But all of these were just types and shadows to symbolize, because remember, in the Old Testament, they did not have the benefit of all of the scriptures at the time. When Moses uh, died, all they had was the, 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 the first four books, the Torah. Sorry, the first five books, the Torah. So God set up these ceremonial laws as signs. Remember he said, this is a sign between me and Israel. So Paul, in his teaching, was saying, this is just a type and shadow. And yes, we are the fulfillment of spiritual Israel, but also we are also the fulfillment of of grace. Jesus said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by when the high priest was questioning Jesus and Jesus finally said, "Yes, I am." You know what he did? Ripped up his priestly garment. He broke the law. He broke the law in doing that. 
because he was never supposed to show a sign of anger or mourning. But symbolically, he broke the law, signifying the end of the Levitical priesthood. That's why Paul says, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, the truth, is of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, the Sabbath observance was part, as I said, of the ceremonial law. Today, we have two parts of the law. I've taught this before, so let's see who remembers it. How many parts, how, how is the, the law divided today into two parts? Two parts to, two parts to our law today, and at least in America. Some countries have three parts to their law, but we only have two. Criminal? No, it's the criminal and the civil. That's the two divisions of the law. The criminal code, you don't have to do anything but break the law and they'll come and get you. The civil code, though, if you have a business contract, the police not going to go after your partner if he cheats on you. You know what you have to do? You have to go sue him. So that's the, the difference. It's the criminal and the civil. You can file a civil lawsuit for damages. So in most of the Western Hemisphere, there's only two parts to the law. There is the criminal, which they have a, a state's attorney or a city attorney or whatever. The police will come and arrest you if you break the criminal code. But you can break the civil code, and it's going to be up to you. If, if you have a business dealing and someone cheats you or breaks a contract, the only way you get relief is you have to file against them in a civil court. So there is two parts to the uh, Western laws. But in certain countries, they have three parts. What's the third part? No. Religious. Right? In Saudi Arabia, they have the civil, the criminal... And religious, they have a branch of the police that is called the religious police. And they police that you're not breaking the religious laws. Like if a woman goes out without certain coverings, or only recently they allowed women to drive. It was against the religious law for women to drive in Saudi Arabia. Well, under the law, there was the same thing. There was the civil, and there was the criminal, and there was the religious, the ceremonial law. So when Jesus died, what he did away with was the ceremonial law. Right? It's, still, it's still a crime to kill someone. Jesus didn't do away with that. All he did away with was the ceremonies and ordinances that were against us. Let's read 18, Exodus chapter 18, verse 20. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Do you see under the law, there was work to do? There was things you had to do. You had to go prepare your goat. You had to make sure it was perfect. You had to bring your first fruits. You had to do all of these ceremonies on certain days in a certain way to be accepted. But here's what Hebrews 9 says. Then verily the first covenant, and this is why it doesn't apply to Israel. This is the answer to your question. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, which stood only in, in terms of outward shows, in certain meats, in certain drinks, in divers washings. The cardinal, that means fleshly ordinances imposed on them, and there's the big word, until the time of the Reformation. 
That's what Jesus came to do. Amen. Aren't you glad you don't have to do all that stuff? Aren't you glad you don't have to do all of that stuff? You see, the, the, the ordinances were some civil, some criminal, but a lot of them were ceremonial. Amen. I've, I've put that up. When, I, when we post it, you can see. Here's what, here's what Paul says to the Colossians. Blotting out. If you blot it out, you can't see it anymore, right? Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. Particularly us Gentiles, or as the Hebrew would say, the goyim. We couldn't come close. It was against us. A Gentile can't come into the court of the Levites, which was a contrary to us. And he, here's what he did. He took it out the way, nailing it to his cross. This is why we don't have to do these carnal observations outside. But there are things that we should be doing. Wherefore, if he, if he be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you yet subject to the ordinances? He was saying to the Colossians, listen, if you're supposed to be dead, died with Christ, then how can you be living and trying to do all these works of the ordinances that were passed down from the Jews? Because a dead person can't do anything. Ephesians 2.14 brings it out even more. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Amen. There was always a separation, even for the high priest in the Holy of Holies. God broke that down. Remember when he died, the veil in the temple rent in twain. Verse 15, having abolished... Abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. Amen. That's the reason why even though we are spiritual Israel, there has been a change in the priesthood. There has been a change in the ceremonies. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances... That was against us, which was contrary to us. The Jews have 613 written, thou shalt and thou shalt not. 613. It is a lot. 365 is thou shalt, and I think 364 thou shalt not. That's, that's the amount of hems, blue tassels on their garments. 613, each one to commemorate a thou shalt or a thou shalt not. But Jesus came to set us free from that. You're not saved under the law, but you are saved by unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. God's wonderful sovereign choice to say, whosoever will may come. John chapter 5 and verse 7. You know this story. He came to the pool and there was this man that had been there, what, 30 something years? And he said, Will you be healed? A lot of times we miss when God is asking us something. We give him some other answer. Well, I don't have any way to get out of here. That's not what he asked us. <laughs> Would you be blessed? Well, I don't have any job. I don't have any. That's not what he asked us. All you have to say is, yes, I will like it. Give me your blessing, Lord. The way he does it is totally up to him. But sometimes we answer back as if we're going to work it out. This is when we are actually breaking the Sabbath. Is when we try to add to his work. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can still break the Sabbath by not entering his rest through 
unbelief. I'm guilty of it. I have to confess. Amen. Amen. Jesus said unto him, wait a minute, let me read it. He said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. He could only see one solution. That's the only way everybody else gets healed. God can do something exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or see. He has a different solution. God has surprised me so many times where I thought the answer was coming this way and it came from this way. And I just have to shake my head and go, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm. How me of little faith. (laughs) This man said, well, I don't, the reason I can't get healed is because I don't have anyone to pick me up and put me in there. And then on top of it, it is a Saturday. So no one is going to do it. It's a Saturday, right? But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. That just seems to be the story, right? Everybody keeps taking your blessing. <laughs> you just, just about, and then someone else steps up and takes your blessing. So it can't happen today. But Jesus, you know, and here's the amazing thing. There were probably a couple hundred people. Now, why Jesus picked him, I don't know. Maybe he had been there the longest, we don't know. But Jesus wanted to make a point here, Right? He wanted to make up. He came to this one man, and Jesus said to him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. But you know what they used to do? They would get their Gentile servants to do the stuff for them. So they could say, you know... I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And throughout history, there have been many little things that uh, uh, somewhat observant Jews would do to get around some of the Sabbath day laws. You know, you, couldn't only, you could only go a Sabbath day's journey from your stuff. So what they would do is get someone to take some of their stuff a mile out here and someone to take it another mile. So they were never more than a mile from their stuff, but it could actually be 20 miles from their house. You know, we always look for ways to get round. So he, he, he said, there's no one to pick me. Jesus said, listen, just lift up your bed and walk. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. But Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. The point he was trying to say is God is always working in the spiritual. The physical was finished. The physical creation was finished, but he's not finished working spiritually. Amen. And we can enter his rest by letting him do the work. That is the point of the Sabbath. The reason, as I said, he told them not to pick up on the seventh day is because he'd already provided for them. Anyone who went out on the, on the seventh day was just being greedy. Because as the scripture said, everyone had more than enough. He that picked up a a little had enough. He that picked up a lot had enough. So anyone who went out on the seventh day was just trying to upstage God. Or or, or not trust God. And so we can enter his rest spiritually by just trusting him and believing him. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but that said... That God was his father, making himself equal with God. Hallelujah. You understand that God is working right now. He provided the food every day. 
But on the sixth day, he provided double so that they would learn to trust him. He is working spiritually now to provide you spiritually food. Amen? And all we have to do is to trust him. 2 Corinthians 5.19 To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, not accounting, not writing down their trespasses, their sins unto them, and hath committed unto each of us the same word of reconciliation. That's why I said Sunday, we're not called to, to judge people in, 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 in regards to their punishment. You know, we can't say, you're going to burn in hell. That's not our call. All we can say is, this is what God says we are to do. Amen? So, let's look at this a little bit more. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the book again. Amen? I'm going back to the beginning of the, the book. Genesis 1.28 And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Sunday, I went down some commands, right? I said about talk taught about walking in agreement. The Bible says that two cannot walk unless they be in agreement in Amos. And all this month, our topic has been walking with God. So I said, what is it that Jesus has commanded that we can be in agreement with? And so we went down a few of the things that Jesus had commanded. Because he said in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching them to what? Observe or obey Everything of that I have commanded. So we need to find out what it is that he has commanded. Now, do you notice here I said commands given to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish and subdue and have dominion. Now, I want to show you that he's given commands to the Gentile church too. Acts 15.5 they wanted to give the, the, the Gentiles the Jewish commands. But look what the, the, the church decided about keeping the Sabbath. Acts 15.5. By the way, you notice, let's go back here. But the point I was making is nowhere in here did it say to Adam anything about the Sabbath. Right? No, it did not. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion, and don't work on the seventh day. No, didn't say that. Did not. The Sabbath was only instituted under the law, as it said three times, as a sign to the Jews so that they would learn to trust him. When God created Adam, Adam had no problem trusting God. It was only until he sinned that he became one, fearful It's only when we sin we have a problem trusting God. Then we become fearful. Will he, will he, will he hear me? Will he? But when we are not in in a sinful relationship, we should be in a faithful relationship. Amen. Now, I want to go back to here and I want to show you something. So there arose up certain of the sects of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. It's never called... The law of God for some reason in the New Testament. It's always called the law of Moses. I guess it's hinting that a lot of it was man-made. 
And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. This is the very first church, church council. And then James, who was, I believe, the brother or half-brother of, of, of Jesus, he got up as being the leader there, said, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from the Gentiles are turned to God. And he gave them four commands. Or they came up with four commands. Just as in Genesis there were four commands. But we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Do you notice that they didn't command them to observe any of the feast days, any of the Sabbath days, or, or any animal sacrifice, which was still going on in Jesus' day? Do you understand what they're saying is, we're under grace. When Paul and Barnabas took the letter back to the, to the church in Antioch, you know, they had a great rejoicing. They were so happy. They were so joyful. Wow, this is nothing. This is, this is what we've been doing anyway. So the practice of the early church was not to gather on a Saturday. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, which is what? Sunday. Sunday, right? Jesus arose on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. So the, 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 the um, circumstance or the, 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 um, the practice then of the early church was to gather on the first day of the week. Not that that is any different from any other day. Every day should be holy to all of us, right? We shouldn't be doing something on Monday that we don't do necessarily on a Sunday that is sinful. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So we find that a practice developed that they would meet on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16.2. So anyone who wants to tell you, you can only have church on a Saturday, um, they need to go tear out these pages in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Upon the first of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. That means they were going to collect offerings as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So they had church. They collected offerings on the first day of the week. Amen. Here's what he says in another scripture. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And God, What he's trying to say is the day you worship is not what's going to save you. If you want to eat fish on Friday or meat on Friday, that's not going to save you. That's not what's going to save you. It's the grace of God and your response. Amen. Your response. The true meaning of the Sabbath is really to trust God. Genesis 2.1, it says, verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And then it has this word, because. Why did he set it apart? Because. Not because uh, it was going to make us holy. It was totally to do with him. Because in it, he had ceased from all his physical creation that he had made. That's the why he did it. Not because he was trying to stop us, but he wanted to set a symbol and a sign that we need to come and to trust him. We need to learn to just lay back in his arms. That's how we enter the Sabbath today. That's why it says in Hebrews, There yet remaineth a day of rest. 
oh, I want to enter that rest because life is so hectic. Sometimes I, I have to, you know, what have I got to do next? What have I got to do next? Okay. Already I'm thinking I got to preach this Sunday. I got to write another Bible study this Sunday. I got to visit. I've got some appointments this week. I got to go meet so-and-so tomorrow and I got to go so-and-so's in the hospital. And you can get to where you're programming yourself away and not trusting God. Right? You know, you can get He wants us to trust and just lay back on him. Amen. We can still enter his rest. In fact, to be honest with you, the only people who can truly keep the Sabbath are those who are spirit-filled believers. Because Jesus said, if you don't have his spirit, you're what? You're none of his. So you cannot keep the Sabbath unless you truly have his spirit. You may say you keep the Sabbath, but that's just an outward appearance. Keeping God's Sabbath is that we enter into his rest. Where we, the Bible says in Hebrews, have ceased from our own works. I got to do this. I got to do this. Else this is not going to happen. I got, that's our own works. That's our, if we think that if we don't do it, the world is going to end, that's our own works. If I don't do this, boy, this is going to cause trouble. No. You need to just put that in the hand of God. Amen. I've learned uh, from many years of, of working from I was uh, 17. You know, I used to give all these deadlines at work. Well, if this doesn't happen, this, this is going to be the end of the world. Well, it didn't happen and the world did not end. The earth did not split apart and people did not get swallowed. Yet. <laughs> when Jesus comes, it will be, but not yet. Amen. We have to learn. If we, if we truly want to keep the Sabbath, it is entering into his rest. The Bible says in Hebrews that we have rested from our own works. You know, trying to be busy to make stuff happen. Amen. That's not going to work. Amen. We have to trust God. So it was originally God's work being complete. That's what the Sabbath was created to commemorate. And so if his work in us is complete, then we are in the Sabbath, his rest. When we let his work in us become complete, then we have entered into his rest. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we are the only ones who can truly keep the Sabbath when we let God work in us and to complete the work that he started. Then we have entered that rest. Now, the interesting thing about that seventh day is it doesn't have an ending, right? It doesn't say in the evening and the morning were the seventh day. It's missing. Amen. Hebrews 4.4, 4, it says, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Amen. And he wants to do the same for us so that we can enter in his rest. So here's the true Sabbath keepers. Hebrews 9.1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine services and a worldly sanctuary. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, that means he had to bring blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, because in the Old Testament, only one person could go once a year. And he only, after he had done all kinds of preparations and sanctified himself. So while as yet all of these ceremonies and symbols were standing, the way was not open. For us Gentiles, for us non-Jews, so to speak, which was a figure for the time then present. You see what Paul is saying? This was all symbolism for God to train the people 
his children, the Jews, as to what his ultimate plan of revelation was. Because it wasn't written in a book. It was written in the ceremonies and in the ordinances that they did, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make them that did the service perfect as pertaining the conscience. It couldn't clear their conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal or fleshly ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. Now, Hebrews 3.9 says this, and this is what, when I was reading this many years ago, it really hit me how we treat God sometimes. He says, here's God speaking, he says, when your fathers tempted me, they thought God was testing them, but they were really testing God's patience. When they tempted me and saw my works 40 years, 40 years because they would not enter into his rest. 40 years because they saw the 10 miracles in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw themselves walk over in dry land. And for 40 years, they saw this pillar of fire every night. And still, they did not believe. And a cloud and water coming out of rocks and their clothes never getting old and their shoes never falling apart and their enemies always being defeated. And they still did not believe. And so God said, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my Sabbath. All that generation died out. So this is a warning to us. When we think back the miracles that God has already delivered us from, let's not tempt him and say he can't take us all the way through. Let's not put his power in a box and say he can't deliver us. They shall not enter into my rest. That whole generation died out because they refused to believe no matter what God did. They were not worthy of his blessings or his miracles. Because there was nothing more he could do. I mean, if you see a pillar of fire every night for 40 years and you go out every day and you never planted or, or weeded, and you get food, and you get water out of a rock, and you don't have to do nothing, and you still can't believe, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, if you could stand with me. Lest there be any of you, or me, an evil, he calls it an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another, that's what I'm doing tonight, daily, while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Satan will, will, will make you forget all the miracles God has done for you, the time he saved your life, the time when you went through the red stoplight and still missed the car. He will try, unless any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning. the way. In other words, what we started with, the confidence we started, if we hold our confidence steadfast all the way to the end. They started out of Egypt. God did the miracle of letting all of them go. All they had to do was continue with that same confidence. They could have been in Canaan in, in three months. 
They came to Sinai in just two months. They came to Canaan. It was in another uh, two years, say, two years to cross. And then because of unbelief, they stayed in the desert another 40 years. They could have gotten into Canaan in two years. Two years. Here's the key. If we are made partakers of Christ, if you've received his spirit, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, that's the word, steadfast, unto the end. Why did he say today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It's called as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom he was grieved forty years. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest, but to them that believed not? So, lack of faith is a sin. The Bible says that he that becometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him verse 19 so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief last last slide i promise let us therefore fear this is the first scripture i read lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed, here's the key, do enter into rest. If you believe that God loves you, if you believe that you're his child, if you do believe tonight, you can enter into his rest. You can trust him. No matter what Red Sea you're facing, no matter what crisis you're facing, He is saying, you today can enter into his rest. He told the thief on the cross, today, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. You know why? Because he said, remember me. He exhibited faith even on the cross when he was dying. He said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, that God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, if they shall enter into my rest. So verse 6, the last thing I'm going to read, it says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So tonight we can be a true Sabbath keeper by trusting God. Amen. He has promised that on the sixth day you're going to pick up double. On the sixth day, you're going to reap double. On the seventh day, don't bother going out there. Just shut your door, pray or whatever. Spiritually speaking, now I'm saying, right? We have to trust him that he has got this. And that we can enter into his rest. Hallelujah. And if we will do that, it says whatever confidence we started out, we've got to maintain that to the end. If they had done that, they could have been in the promised land in two years. But they said, oh no, there's giants in the land. We can't do it. Yes, there's giants in your land. There's, there's valleys that you have to go through. There is, there's all kinds of things. But with God, all things are possible. With man, no, it's not possible. You know, as, as I told you, I have that letter where they declined my stuff. And 
I said, nope, this is not right. Because <laughs> God had told me, diff- despite it's in, it written in paper and sent out by their computer, I said, no, this is not what God told me. When God is on your side, there is no enemy, there is no power, there is no nothing that can override his will. As I said, and I am closing, when God says, let there be, the only answer is, and it was so. Hallelujah. Let's remember that tonight when we leave. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you tonight for your greatness and for your word. Help us, I pray, in faith tonight to rise to be able to enter into your rest. Let us not be in unbelief and fear, Lord God, but let us come to your throne boldly, knowing, Lord, that you have counted us worthy, that you have called us, Lord, that you have saved us. Your mercy and your grace cover us tonight. Lord, you have been able to forgive us of so many faults and failures. Lord, we humbly come before your throne tonight and we claim the victory over Satan that we will have dominion and sin shall not have dominion. Hallelujah. That we are going forth in your word to conquer, Lord God, because we shall reign as kings and priests. Lord, we ask you right now to go with us. Let your Holy Spirit surround us and to lift us up and to take us through. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.